Hello, and happy back to school season, everyone. I'm Angela Brown, the manager of B2B brand strategy at Niche, and this audio cast is a recording from a panel we hosted at our enrollment and marketing summer camp about marketing to Gen Z. We had a really great discussion, and I'm excited to share it with you in another format. So I hope you enjoy it and that you have an incredible school year. All right, we are at 11.03, and I love to start things as close to on time as I can. So I'm going to get us started. Um, Again, welcome. It's our first session of the day for our first ever enrollment marketing summer camp. I am Angela Brown, the manager of B2B Brand Strategy at Niche, and I am joined today by a couple of our friends from the brand marketing team. Um, Our student ambassador, Amy, is running a little bit late, but we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, And they're going to share some insights and experiences with you and me from the work that we're doing with Gen Z here at Niche. So before we jump into the panel discussion, I do have a little bit of housekeeping for you. First, all of today's sessions are being recorded. That's the most common question that we get, and they will be emailed to you on Monday. This session is also going to be available as a podcast episode in the Enrollment Insights podcast feed, so keep an eye out for that. And then finally, once we get through our panel discussion, we'll take your questions at the end. I'm sure you're going to have quite a few. Um, So we're going to make sure that we get through as many of those as possible. So now we're going to get into some quick intros, and then we'll dive right into our questions. I've already told you who I am, so I'm going to turn things over to Nick, and then we'll get to Bo. Sure. Great to have everyone here today. My name is Nick Kamenisi. I'm the Director of Brand Marketing. I've been at Niche for almost four years now. Um, When I came on, uh, we did not have a brand marketing team specifically, so we built that from the ground up. And the best way to think of what we do is if you're thinking about a marketing funnel, we're at the top of the funnel, we're brand awareness. We really work in all the external channels outside of Niche's product. So you think about TikTok, Instagram, all the social channels, and our goal is to keep Niche top of mind. So once when parents or students are thinking about choosing a school, whether that's a K-12 school or college, any form of education, they think about niche first. So we're constantly thinking about what message resonates with our core audience, uh, both the parents and the students, and working to put out content that's relevant to that. And we'll talk a little deeper about those specifics. Awesome. And next we have Bo. Hey, I'm Bo. My name is Lisette Bohannon, but I go by Bo. Um, primarily, my history is and my background is working in education, so I've always kind of gone by my last name. I am the senior content marketing manager on our team. However, I, like I mentioned, I have a background in education, so I have been in um, educational spaces from all the way from first grade working to college admissions. And so primarily the bulk of my experience is working as a high school counselor. Um, A few, right before the pandemic hit, I started my own social media platform page to connect with my students since most of them were not answering their emails to me. And so through my work with that, it kind of led me over to Niche and working on the brand marketing team. So I kind of have a dual role. I am a senior content marketing manager. However, I'm also branded on our website as the Niche School Counselor as I'm still providing information to students through our platform. Awesome. And I'll stand in for Amy, who is a recent graduate. Um, She just graduated from college 
and she's been working with us as one of our student ambassadors. So um, hopefully she'll be joining us in just a little bit to share her experience. But first, I'm going to start with Nick. And I'm doing this panel a little bit differently because each of our panelists represents very different experiences with the work that Niche does with this particular generation. And so we're going to go panelist by panelist. But anyone can jump in at any time if you have something to add to someone else's responses. And then, as I mentioned, we will happily take your questions at the end. So first one is if you can describe, you teased a little bit of this out in your intro, but if you can talk more about how your team engages with our student audience, because that's something that I don't think that folks on this um, side of the house in K-12 are as familiar with, then there may even be a few ideas that they can steal from some of the work that we're doing. Sure. <clears throat> Um, early on, when I started at Niche, you know, just of course, you, the first thing you do is kind of scour the s social media and see what we've been doing in the past. And you know, it was pretty typical the approach of you know doing posts that were about the company, about Niche. Um, so we decided early on the the better approach would be to frame things through the lens of the student. Um, and in fact, that's why the first hire to the team was uh, Chelsea. She is an actual influencer, in specifically in the Instagram space at the time. So I knew she could kind of handle that process of like navigating, uh, identifying and finding the right people, the students to represent us, and, and really directing and guiding them through the process. And that really was the right move from day one. Um, I think that influencer, ambassador, these terms are used, they're kind of like buzzwords. But in reality, the, the, the point of doing that is that is the authenticity, right? Students or whoever the audience is wants to, they want to see people like them talking about something versus a company or a brand. Gen Z specifically is very sensitive to this idea of corporate companies knowing that they are, if they're, you know, they're not a nonprofit and they are making money, they're aware of that, highly aware of that. And so they would prefer to hear it through a student like them talking about their experience. Um, and I would say we the content we put out, while there's a variety of different formats and, and so forth, we're constantly changing the approach, it does fall in two general buckets. And one is what it's really like, what it's really like at a particular school, not just what the school says it's like, but what are the students saying, what is their experience, and then identifying the right school for them, and then the process of getting in, because we know that process can be very different for different schools, for different students, for different career paths. Um, and so showing those two things through the own lens of the student has been very successful for us uh, in building a solid audience, not just vanity metrics, but in having clear engagement through comments. Uh, we get a lot of direct messages that we do our best to try to answer as much as possible. That's what students are looking for. It, the interesting thing is a lot of these questions could be Google. They're not questions that you couldn't find somewhere on the internet, but what they're actually looking for is real advice from a real student, or in the case with Bo, someone who has that authoritative space as a counselor, someone who knows the space. That's what they're looking for. So I think it's interesting. We talk a lot about like AI and chat GTP, and those things are very uh, effective in different ways, but at the end of the day, the human touch is still needed, right? They still need, there's that emotional side of things, there's the belief side of things that is starting to influence how they choose a school. And we found that ambassadors, putting that content out directly from them is, has been most successful for us. So 
this is before I actually get to this question, I do want to just kind of stick on something that you the an overarching theme to what you just said, which is that students really value hearing from other students. And we'll get to this in a little bit, but I think it's it's worth calling out because one of the pieces of pushback or concerns that I tend to hear on the K-12 side is that there's fear and anxiety around unleashing your, you know, control of your social media channels to students, but clearly there's a lot of value in that, and that's that's definitely showing up in our numbers and the engagement that we're getting on these platforms. So I do want to call that out before we dig a little bit deeper into what that looks like for us, because I think that's an important thing for folks on the call to hear. So also important, and I'm sorry, you were going to say something before I... Yeah, I mean, I do get into it a little bit in, one, in another question, but I think that um, there is a, a something to our secret sauce that's interesting, I think. I think, so there's, when you talk about influencers, typically what that means is that you're, in, in let's just say in a brand's case, you're paying an influencer to put out content on their own account, on your behalf. Um, and I think that's where a lot of the hesitancy comes in because it's now they're on their own account. They can do things that may not be in line with the brand's voice or your, your belief system. The difference with how we're doing things for the most part is that we're vetting out the ambassadors based off of certain criteria. We are paying them in most cases to do the content. We can get, we'll get into that more. So therefore, we have a little more say in like how the content is done, you know, and how it. And we are there's a process of kind of editing and going back and forth with revisions. We own that content based off a contract, and we're then taking that content and putting it out through our platform. So it's kind of went through a filter system at that point. It's still authentic. We're not we're not scripting what they say. You know, we're not being overly um, controlling of the content, but there is a level that it goes through to avoid what you're, Angela, what you're getting at that some may have concerns about. Sure, sure. So for this next question, I think this is probably the um, the hot the the hot topic that, <laughs> that folks were are here to hear. Um, and this this stems from an internal meeting that we have very regularly where. We talk about some of our engagement metrics and the trends that we're seeing. And I certainly was surprised by some of the things that I heard in a recent presentation that your team did. So what are some trends that your team has seen recently that might surprise the folks on the call? Yeah, I mean, there's quite a few. So if there's certain ones that I don't touch on that you want to bring out, I can comment on those. I mean, I think when we're talking about a student and their thoughts around choosing education, I think that that's drastically changed and we see it through the content. So for instance, uh, one of our most popular formats is what they call tiny mic interview, or it's like two, two students or a student interviewing another student on campus. And one of the questions that does really well is asking the student what is their major and what is their expected salary? And what that really equates to is they're asking essentially what is the return on my investment? And so it's less about my, you know, my family it's historically went to this college or this is kind of the career path my parents want to take. And they're asking, hey, college is expensive. It's a huge decision. If I pay X and I go for this major, how much will I make in my first year out, second year out? Um, they're looking in, in a lot of ways to make a decent living, not just not because they're greedy or materialistic, because they know the cost of living is crazy and they're planning for that. They're being more thoughtful. So 
uh, they're intentional in their choices and that I think is a big shift rather than just and I'm not saying this is across the board for every student but it, it's probably less about hey I just want to go party for a couple years or whatever and they're actually thinking I actually have to pay for this like yes I want to have a good time I want to be with people who embrace who I am but I'm also concerned about what the outcome of this is based on the input so I think that's that's a big one that's different and probably along with that too is that you know, schools based off their political and social views or the stances they take, that's playing into their decision as well. So they are interested in, okay, while this may be a great school for academics, like what is their take on this particular situation that's happening right now? And so how schools respond to things in real time can, act, can actually have a huge impact on their view of that school or if you view it as a brand, the way they view that brand. So there's a, a couple of things that I want to call out there. And I, I'm, if people might see me writing, I'm taking notes as you're speaking so that we can come back to some of these themes that you're pulling out. But I think two of the big takeaways there are one, you know, as you're thinking about your content strategy for some of these newer channels or buzzier channels, you know, like TikTok, which a lot of people have been back and forth on in K-12, um, and even Instagram Reels, which is almost like a TikTok light, you know, and it's often the training wheels for people who they're already on Instagram. They're not quite ready to establish a presence on another channel. But a lot of the conversation tends to be around things like, okay, how do I need to think about these channels differently than content I might be posting on Facebook, for example, which is more of a parent or guardian centric channel. And I think there's still this lingering idea that video content needs to be silly or fun, which fun is definitely an aspect of it. But what I'm hearing you say is that students are also taking this process more seriously. And that's something that we're definitely I'm in the process of going through our parent survey data. And we do ask some questions about students. We regularly survey students who are in the high school, you know, junior age range for our higher ed surveys. And it's not just about the soft content. They actually do want to see things that are a little bit more substantive and meatier and speak to the experience that you're offering at school. And I think that's something that's a really important takeaway as people are thinking about what their content strategies look like in any direction that they're giving to students that they do allow to post on these platforms. And then the other piece to come back to the, the sort of social justice and responsiveness to things that are happening in the news, that is another issue that tends to cause a lot of angst among people, particularly in communications, but also across leadership in K-12 schools where there's a recurring question of once something happens, do we respond? How do we respond? What does that look like? And I think that this is just another consideration that your current families and students aren't the only ones watching. There are other constituency groups that are looking to you to establish a position on some of these issues. And, and that reminds me of, there was a really great NIS article um, from the National Association of Independent Schools probably about six months or so ago now that was written by a Markham director at, um, at an independent school who talked through her process of deciding, do we respond? How do we respond? So I'll make sure that I link to that um, among the resources that we share out later. But it's a really important consideration that 
students aren't just looking for the fun and silly side of your school community. They want substance. They want to um, know more about the decision that they're making. And that's true whether it's a tuition charging school and you know their parents are going to be making a financial investment, or if you're in an open enrollment state or you're a magnet school where people are actively choosing to attend, I think it's it's really important to think about what factors into those decisions. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, I think the, the, the silly content thing is, and or entertaining content, I think is an interesting point. Entertainment is a huge part of it. It's almost either entertaining or informative. And to be funny is actually really difficult. So sometimes you're better off just leaning into being informative, you know, um, and because they're getting, there's enough entertainment there. So, you know, if you're trying to try to do both and you're not doing either one really well, it may be, make more sense just to be very informative. And the other thing I was going to say too is that like you do need to have your ducks in a row, so to speak, when you decide to make a statement about something. Like they they want the receipts, right? So and they'll find it. So you can't say something without being able to back it up. And for us at Niche, it's a huge piece of our business because it's based on data. And like they will do the research, they will look into the methodologies and all those things. So it's good if possible to preemptively make decisions on how you're going to respond to these things. And in some cases it is better to not respond at all if you're not going to have a great response or it's going to look performative or something like that. Absolutely. I think that's, if I recall correctly, that's actually one of the call outs from the piece is that sometimes no response is a response. And one of the things that you really have to think about is how not just what the impact is of the broader community, you know, the broader world, but what is the impact of your community specifically and what can you add to the conversation that's not already being added. So you're not just making, it's, it shouldn't be performative, it should be really authentic, but you should also be adding something to, to the broader discussion around the issue. For sure, yeah. I mean, that's, like I said, Gen Z are highly in tune with what what's going on, and and they will do the side by side comparisons, and they will call you out. We've uh, seen <laughs> in our in our comments. That's for sure. So the next one is a callback to to what we sort of started to tease out, where with this um, sense of anxiety around um, involving students and in, in marketing, because that's really what this is about, and so. I think it would be awesome to share some more about things that we've done at Niche to build our ambassador program, and hopefully there are some takeaways in there for the folks on the call. Sure. There. Um, well, the first thing I would say is that there are a lot of third-party platforms that make the mechanics of it a lot easier, um, but a big part of it is going to be legalities, um, especially if you're dealing with students under 18. So. You know, we have in-house legal counsel at this point. We didn't before, but um, we had to go outside for this. But it is important that you think through these things first. Um, and one of the biggest parts is that if you are getting uh, students to become official ambassadors and you're compensating them in some way, um, you have to have ensure that the onboarding process involves the parents so that they can be part of that consent uh, process. So I, I would definitely say that in the f first and foremost. Um, even TikTok for, is becoming more and more sensitive to targeting students under 18. 
Um, so you definitely have to do your research and, and, and make sure those things are taken care of first. Um, but with, with ambassadors, I've heard this too from the college side who have their own ambassador programs, um, that often they'll get someone on board and then they'll do a little bit of content and then they'll just kind of fizzle out and they won't get them to do it. I think we've tried to build more of a community around it where they feel invested in, in what they're doing. They're invested in, in the mission, the vision. We do compensate them and this can be in different ways. There could be a way to compensate them with prizes or things like that. Um, you know, in our case with college students, it actually probably becomes a small part of their income, which is, is helpful for them. Um, but making them feel like they're, what they're doing is, is worth their time and is valuable. And I think a common misconception with social media content is it's easy. It is not easy. In fact, when you see a video go up, it's very possible that students spent hours just to get to that 30 second video or 15 second video, how many times they retook you know, did the takes and edits and all those kind of things. So I think a lot of people, there's this misconception, oh, they're just dancing in front of a, in front of their camera and it's not, that's not the case. It, it can be very difficult to choose the subject matter to have the courage to get in front of the camera. So I think you have to make sure that you're, you're valuing your ambassadors for them, A, to want to continue to do it, but also do it in an authentic way and not feel like they're just like mailing it in. I think that's, there's a lot of good stuff in there. And I, the parental consent piece might feel a little bit daunting. And I could see some folks thinking, well, if we have already, you know, got a lot of the time in K-12 schools, there's, you know, the consent form for basically media consent. And when I was in-house for anything that involved a specific student, even if their parents had given us media consent, I would always take an extra step if it was something like, um, you know, a profile on the website or a social media post or a magazine article or even a video, anything where a specific student is being featured, I would just send a note to the family ahead of time as a heads up just to make sure that I had explicit written permission for that particular piece of content just for extra cover. I think that's just a good practice to have as you're as you're choosing the student ambassadors that you're going to involve in this kind of work. Um, and the, the legal perspective is helpful to have too, especially if you're thinking about younger students. If, you, if you're in a high school environment and you have students who are over 18 or are 18, that certainly makes things a lot easier. But I think if you're dealing with younger students as I was, you know, in a pre-K through 12 institution, it's that much more important to make sure that you have that express permission. And also, I was going to say, I mean, I mentioned we, we do have a lot of ambassadors, but that's also because we're trying to represent a lot of different types of schools, different environments. So in this case, if you are a K-12 school and you're looking to, it could really just be a couple of students who are really passionate about the school that you've vetted out, you've taken time with. So I don't, I don't think it, it requires a lot. In fact, in some cases, if possible, having one or two personalities that are reoccurring in your content can actually be better uh, for the performance. But you know, for us, we try to balance that because we're trying to represent a lot of different viewpoints, a lot of different schools, different career paths, and so forth. But I would say I wouldn't get overwhelmed with this idea that you have to have this massive ambassador program. Sometimes when people hear ambassador programs, they're thinking about the type that are for like a retail product. And that's often very different. Those are ambassador programs can be thousands, and that's because they're literally just giving them 
um, a discount code or something like share this on your social and, and the lift is pretty light for them so that's why they're able to have so many and they're not doing much around that but if you're looking for someone to create core content for your for your school I think it could be just a few you know that you could cycle in and out with it. I think that's such a great call out you don't have to have dozens of students <laughs> who are doing this for you you know if you're in a district maybe it's a handful of students based on specific sites or if you're in a single K-12 school environment, just having one or two might even be enough. Um, it definitely makes the legwork easier for you, and that in and of itself can incentivize that student where it's like, wow, I, cho you know, I was chosen to do something that's really meaningful. Um, and I, to go back to the incentives too, I could see that being a little bit of a challenge for some folks, and I always try to explain that incentives don't have to cost a lot of money. You could do that $5 Starbucks gift card, you know, for per post or something like that. You can do swag. Swag is always a really, really good thing to do. Um, at my previous school, we had specific swag for oh. ambassadors. You got something that was a little special, you know, that um, just made you feel a little bit different. Um, and so there's, there's a lot of creativity that you can have with that beyond, you know, purely financial incentives for sure. So lots of good questions coming in the chat, so I'm looking forward to addressing those. All right. Bo, you're up. You ready? I'm ready. <laughs> you all have done so well, though, answering. I feel like you've touched on a lot of what planning <laughs> uh, on as well. So it's good. It's good. No, I, I know that you you have a lot to add here because you have a very different perspective and different experience. So Based on your work as a school counselor and your role at Niche, can you share some things that you think a K-12 school should think about when they're creating their content strategies for our friends in Gen Z? Yeah, so I, I mean, really a lot of it you all have hit already, but I'm gonna reiterate the fact that most of us working in education, I would venture to guess most of us are gonna be millennials, possibly Gen X, you know, maybe some older Gen Zs, but for the majority of us, we're, we're in a different generation than the students we're serving. And we have to remember that in this space, this social media space, we are no longer the experts. And the experts really are the students. So I am going to reiterate that even if, you know, it's difficult or you come up to challenges with, you know, parent permission, utilizing students whether it's in the strategy or whether it's in the brainstorming part of the process or the checking your content part of the process, I think that is really key. When I started my, I know I mentioned this earlier, I started my social media journey at the start of 2020, right before the pandemic. And it was mainly because I saw in the hallway, physically saw all my students having their phones up, creating TikToks. And I was wondering like, what are you guys doing? Why do you have your phone up? And what is this app you guys are all on right now? So I decided to sort of join them. And my district was pretty strict in terms of filming students. So we were not allowed to film and post on anything that was personal. I, um, at the time I decided to make a generic that school counselor page. So that's technically what my TikTok and Instagram is. I didn't mention our school in there. However, I created it so my students would have an, an informative place to find, you know, the info that they needed for help in planning for life after high school. So that was kind of my motivation, thinking it was going to be for just my students. Um, and I can tell you, although I wasn't allowed to use my students in my content, 
after I got started and after they found my page, I mean, it was like in the hallway. They're like, hey, it's that school counselor. You know, it was, I was like the hit around all of the hallways. And so I would utilize my students in helping me look at my drafts, tell me, is this good? What can I do better? Like, is this, is this song okay? Like, do I need a better song? So even getting that kind of feedback from students is important. We have to remember they have grown up in this age of social media and they know it a lot better than we do, even though we are learning and most of us, you know, are not super novice to social media. We, they still have grown up with it in the palm of their hands. So we have to keep that in mind that they are the experts and we should defer to them. Even if it's, Hey, look at all of our posts that we have for the month. You know, can you give us feedback? Taking that will be very valuable back to your, you know, back to your team that's creating the content. Also, again, with what everyone has been saying is to be really authentic and genuine. Gen Z is very brutal. I mean, they um, they are very honest and they like you to be honest back with them. They don't want that picture perfect. I know a lot of us millennials were big at the start of Instagram where everything was picture perfect and you were personifying this image of yourself or your campus or your school or whatever it may be. You are personifying the perfect image of it. And Gen Z just doesn't want that. They want more of that raw, authentic, like, what is it really like when I'm walking in the halls? I want to feel like I belong there. And in addition to that, you know, with being authentic and genuine comes being inclusive. You want to feel like you will belong at that school or at that campus. You want to see yourself there. So be inclusive with um, whoever you are deciding to be an ambassador or represent your campus. Make sure you're considering different angles and making sure you're hitting different pieces of your school and what you offer. So then some students, you know, they may relate more to one student or the other student. And it's important to sort of build that connection between your content and the student feeling that they have a place at your school. Um, another thing that has been a hit that I've seen, and this kind of goes along with Angela's question from the trends, is allowing teachers to be human and to be shown on, on social media. Now, that might be an easier way to sort of circumvent the, you know, the parent permission side of things. But I recently saw a TikTok that went viral and it was a student. The student wasn't shown. He was just walking around asking their teacher to finish the lyric of a Drake song. And it wasn't anything inappropriate. It was, you know, nothing. There was no swear words, but it was he was just walking around and going to his teachers and saying 21 and seeing what their teachers would say. And it was just a fun, lighthearted TikTok. It probably didn't take very much time at all to put together. And it showed the human side of teachers having fun with their students. So kind of having that in your content is also a good idea because it may be easier for you to kind of navigate that process in terms of, you know, allowing your teachers to be human, allowing your campus to seem like a fun place to be at, and really also building those student relationships with your teachers and students. So um, some general, you know, guidelines for when you're getting started, it can be tough. Um, it can be overwhelming. So give yourself a break and allow yourself um, time to get it going. Um, but I definitely think having a plan in place is really key. You know, some people decide they're going to 
start a brand new TikTok page for their counseling department at some schools. You know, I think like one of the high schools at my district did that previously. They had no strategy, no plan, and things come up in education, and we know that. And you're, you know, you're working at a much faster pace than a lot of other industries. And so just keeping a plan in mind and trying to stay consistent in that plan, I think before you even get started is important. And also, <laughs> to be devil's advocate on that side, don't allow the plan or your consistent strategy to stifle your creativity. I think for me personally, I always have a plan for the month and I have ideas and things that I wanna hit or things that I wanna tell students based off of you know what information I feel that they need. Um, but sometimes I will be walking down the street or I will be in a random place, you know, and I will stop, I'll get an idea, I will film it. And I, I kid you not, usually those are the ones that do better and they perform much better than my planned out strategy ones or my, my longer version edited pieces that take me, you know, hours to produce. It's just when I get a thought sometimes and I just allow myself to, you know, implement my thought and I go with it, most often those do the best. So just have a plan, stay con stay consistent. However, don't allow that to really stifle your, your creativity. And then my last kind of two pieces to avoid, um, I would just say, just avoid being super out of touch, you know, spend some time on whatever platform you're going to commit to, whatever it may be, spend some time on it, absorbing the content, absorbing the vibe before you just start creating content. Um, spend some time. That's really important. You can really tell when somebody just jumps on TikTok and starts making TikToks and they haven't spent any time, you know, viewing TikToks. It's very, very obvious because they just don't understand the vibe and they're not putting out the right type of content that fits for that platform. So just make sure whatever platform you decide, you are spending some time actually absorbing the content that is being provided there. And then kind of like what Nick mentioned earlier, avoid selling something too hard. It's um, very obvious. Like I mentioned, students are the experts. They know, and they honestly, research shows that they don't mind sponsored posts. They don't mind certain aspects if it's real, authentic, and genuine, and not this adsy, trying to lie to them type of sales sponsored post. So I think just keeping that in mind that they are okay with some of the sponsored posts, but not the ones that are trying to sort of trick them or make them believe something that's not really accurate. So just um, just be yourself and, and go that route versus trying to be too salesy. I love that. There's so much to unpack <laughs> what you just said. Um, and I, I really there's there's a lot of good stuff but i think a couple of things one the importance of involving your students in your content strategy is something that i think really needs to be called out because it adds so much value to that student ambassador role a lot of the times the ambassadors are they're taking you know families around for tours and they're involved in the shadow days and and things like that and that's fine but giving them agency in the actual strategy and having them in the room as you're thinking about what your plan is going to be for content over the course of a quarter, a semester. You know, honestly, I wouldn't plan too much further beyond that because things, to your point, Bo, can change so quickly. But, you know, I know as a, you know, fledgling journalist, when I was a student, I would have loved to have that type of experience and that kind of involvement. And so, 
I see this as just another way to add value and incentivize the, the role of a student ambassador. So that is a really great takeaway. Getting teachers involved, not only is that another way to show a different aspect of what it's like to be part of your community, but it's another way to get teachers involved in marketing, which we all know they're always constantly trying to do. Every teacher wants, you know, uh, what used to be Twitter, an X page. You know, I, those, those requests are still coming. They want their own Instagram accounts. They want, you know, all sorts of ways to showcase the work that they're doing in the classroom. And this is an opportunity for you to partner with them in a way that's meaningful um, without necessarily having to worry about other members of your community hanging shingles all over the internet without talking to about it. So I am always very much in favor of finding ways to partner. And then the piece about not allowing your plan to stifle your creativity, I think applies to so many other types of planning that that's a really important call out. It's not just your social media strategy. It's your overall marketing plan. It's your enrollment plan. It's your communications plan. Because things do happen. Things come up. And, you know, as we've all learned in the last few years, you have that need to pivot that you might not anticipate. So, as much as we're big advocates for planning, it's also really important to make sure that you're giving yourself the space to make a change or do something differently if it presents itself. So that's a really great call out. Our next question is, what are some of the better examples of student-focused content that you've seen from K-12 schools? And I see there's a little bit of this in the, um, in our in our Q and A, so I would love to to explore that a little bit more. Yeah, I think right before we jumped on the webinar call, I was telling actually Angela about this TikTok that I actually caught my son. He's ten years old, and I actually caught him just watching it. And I'm like, wait, wait a minute, I'm about to do this panel, and this is like <laughs> perfect, you know, perfect form. It was I'll, I'll post it in the chat after you know I get done talking, but. It's from Mendez Middle School. It was made by several different students, and each clip is them saying, like, hey, Mendez has the best teachers. And then they're like, we're in Austin. And then another student saying, you know, we have extracurriculars after school that's volleyball, art. And then another student saying, and one of our clubs goes to Japan every year. And as he was watching that, I watched him watch it several times. And I mean, he's not in the market to find a new school, <laughs> but he was watching the, this middle school TikTok. Um, and so that's where I stopped him. And I'm like, wait a minute, send me that video. And so he sent it to me. And actually this morning I was getting ready to send it to myself and my daughter watched it, who's eight. And she was like, I want to go there. That that place looks so much, looks like so much fun. And they have art after school. Like how fun is that? And so it's just kind of that like authenticity of that type of environment. It was created by students. They were simply highlighting a few key pieces about their campus and seeing it through the lens of even my own children who aren't on the hunt for a new school. But my daughter asking me if she can go to this school is it was just very interesting to me that this happened, you know, this morning. But I think that is a great call out to to know how important it is to be authentic, to be real. They weren't showcasing anything crazy or out of the ordinary. They were literally highlighting pieces of their campus that they offer, different classes that they offer, different you know pro after school programs. And it was just um, very interesting just to see actual actual students with my own children 
taking in this information and you know what they gained from it. And so I think that those type of examples I think are going to be the best examples. However, I understand that there are schools that you know where you are going to have those barriers where you can't use students or you can't use this. And so in that sense, finding the right voice for your campus I think is important. But um, some other examples that I've seen Personally, I've seen um, some high schools actually create, which is kind of like an ambassador program, but they've created a student marketing club where they're focused on, you know, it's a club. And again, I'm a high school counselor, so I always think of how can we format this to help you in the future. And this is stuff that your students can put on their resumes. This is absolutely 100% something that colleges will see as super impactful and super valuable. I mean, if a student wants to eventually be in advertising and they have been running a you know a marketing club all through high school and actually implementing monthly cadences of brainstorming and strategy towards their content planning that is crazy to have that kind of experience when you are in k through 12. so just you know even without payment like angela was talking about earlier i think it's important to emphasize how this can really help them in terms of their resume terms of them getting future jobs, in terms of them getting into certain colleges, all of this, all of this stuff that they will be working on is going to be super valuable and they can definitely even highlight it in a way that is states something like, I grew our Instagram account from zero to 10,000. I mean, that speaks volumes to someone hiring. So just keeping that in mind that this is really going to be an asset and something an asset that your students can really take with them even after they're gone. So um, yeah, like I said, I've seen students do a marketing club. I've seen some high schools actually create like an intern program within like TAs, you know, how you have office assistants, teacher assistants, they've created that for their content um, strategy. I, uh, my previous high school, since we weren't, you know, we had to really be pretty strict in terms of district um, parameters with student with student info, we really had to vet and get stuff signed off, but my high school would actually utilize our AV students to film our different program offerings. So we had a drone aviation class, they would go in and they would film the more high polished YouTube series and they it was their end of year project. So every year we had a new batch of high polished YouTube videos highlighting our culinary classes or our drone classes or engineering classes, whatever it was, but our AV kids were the ones actually filming it. So um, just utilizing your students and their strengths and how you can help support them in planning for life after high school, I think that's your ticket to working with these students. So for example, if you have students interested in business, utilize them for the, strate for the strategy part of the process. If you have marketing students that are possibly interested in marketing, use them for planning and implementing. If you have AV students, use them for actual filming. This, this is great experience for them to actually get filming experience. They can come up with a portfolio after this. If you are planning on just doing Instagram, use your graphic design students to create your Instagram blogs. If you are planning on doing TikTok, I'm sure you have kids that are interested in theater. Use them for the acting, use them for the, let them be the voice, let them be the, the you know, the talent. And if you have English students that are really solid at, you know, with their English skills, utilize them as copywriters, have them write all of your captions for the month. Um, journalism students, have them interview, do the tiny mic interviews on your campus and have them get practice interviewing and getting those interviewing skills. These are all things that 
will definitely propel them in their future career because it is tangible and physical evidence that they can actually provide to their future employers or to their to the future colleges that they want to apply to. I love that. And that's there there's so many opportunities um, you know, for student clubs, for other student organizations. So lots of great ideas there. I think your the start of of your example about the TikTok video from this morning is that regardless of how you might feel about it, younger and younger students are on these platforms too, right? And so if you're at a K through 12 or a K to eight, you know, and you're worried more about that kind of lower elementary um, and middle school age, the middle schoolers are definitely there. I, you know, I, I have a 10 year old, so he's kind of on the cusp, but I know enough people with late elementary and middle school age students who are absolutely on Instagram. They're absolutely on TikTok. They're consuming the same content. Um, so that's a really important call out. Um, and we have a ton of questions to answer in the Q and A. I don't think that Amy is going to make it, but that is actually okay because um, we have so many questions in the Q&A that I want to make sure that we get to and we can all sort of tag team how we're going to answer these questions. So thank you all for bearing with us, speaking of pivoting. So we touched on a little bit of this, um, but the first question is if there are any additional best practices I suppose that we can share for soliciting student-generated content for platforms like TikTok and Instagram. And this is from someone who has some high school interns, which I love, that they'll be directing soon and they are making it up as they go. <laughs> Um, yeah, I can I can kind of talk about what we do, or I'm sure Nick can also go more into detail, but we actually have a deck that we give to our ambassadors that has our parameters broken out into our requirements down to, you know, no profanity, no alcohol, the back, like because they're college students, you know, we sure. want to make sure that everything is appropriate. So I think starting there, if you don't have that piece already, I think that's very crucial. So they know, you know, tips, tricks, do's, don'ts, you know, things that they need to avoid, try to hit this lighting. I mean, we talk about lighting, we talk about audio, all sorts of things in that primary deck. So I think that's a really great thing to have to start. Yeah, I think the other thing I, I mentioned it kind of briefly before, I think um, a lot of times people are assuming that they're, they're going to give out their password, their account um, credentials or something to the student, but I, I would recommend having them create the content and handing it off, or it, it's even good too for documenting it. Um, you know, if you use like a Google Drive or whatever your way of managing like content in general is, I think that's a better strategy because I think that's what most people assume that you're gonna hand off your account and they can do whatever they want with it. Even when they hear these kind of things like uh, Instagram takeover or whatever, a lot of times they are actually just creating that content on their own and then they're, they're even scheduling it out. Um, so I think that putting those stops in place to make sure that you're able to view the content first, you know, request adjustments or changes. Again, like Bo's saying, you set the precedent early on what the expectations are, what they can do. I think that all those things are, are going to make it a lot easier. And of course, like the, the legal piece to make sure you're, you're getting their consent and their parents' consent based off their age. Great. Our next question is, this will, this will be a nice short and sweet one that I'm happy to take. When new families enroll, 
we have them provide or deny consent of photos and all types of media of their students. Is that enough? I would say, unfortunately, no. Um, and this is just a, a pure customer service move. But when I was in-house, I was in a school that did something very similar at when families would complete their enrollment forms for the new year, both new and returning. We had a media release form, but even in addition to that, anytime I was creating a, a form of content in my office where a specific student would be in an area of focus, you know, with a view book, if we have a photo and a quote from an individual student, if we were doing a video that highlighted an individual student, you know, in a, in a shot as opposed to a broader um, wider angle shot of a classroom in action. Anytime a, an individual student was an area of focus as a courtesy, I would send an email to the family just letting them know what the opportunity was, when it was happening, and confirming that they were comfortable with that. Because you'd be surprised um, by how families might feel about certain forms of content. You might have a family that says, you know what, I'm good with my son or daughter being um, on Facebook or Instagram, but I don't know how I feel about them being on TikTok. You know, it's just a, a good, courteous, extra customer service thing to do, especially for a school that charges tuition. Yeah, I was gonna say, even our ambassadors have forms, if there are, like there's other students that appear in their content, they have to get those consent forms as well, if there's other students appearing that are not, not ambassadors. That's great. Um, another question, can you share some high schools or K-12 institutions using student influencers well? Um, I can take part of this one, and uh, Bo, Nick, you're welcome to chime in if you, if you have some other thoughts. But uh, the short answer is that there aren't many. There are an increasing number of high schools and K-12 institutions that are using TikTok but haven't necessarily gone the influencer route. And I think it's in part because of the reasons that we talked about earlier. There's a lot of fear and anxiety around that. Um, but, you know, there's one independent school, actually a boys' school, um, McCallie School, I think they're in Tennessee, um, that was an early adopter with TikTok. And as a result of that, I think that their overall presence is very strong. Beyond that, I would say, and I'm sure there are others out there, but beyond that, I would actually encourage you to look at some higher ed institutions for inspiration because even though they're dealing with an older population of students, there are some really good takeaways that could easily lend themselves to a K-12 institution. There's a lot of day-in-the-life content out there that works really well where an individual student will take you through a very short um, sort of day in the life of, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm up, I'm getting on the bus, or I'm walking into the building, I'm taking English class, I'm getting ready to go to field hockey practice. So, you know, there's a lot of examples out there, and I'm always a big believer in looking outside of the industry, um, but also looking at other sectors for inspiration, especially in this case, because higher ed institutions have been doing this for so long they're much further ahead of K-12 institutions. So if you're really looking for inspiration for content that's a little bit more innovative, more authentic, and might move the needle for you a little bit more, I would actually start there. Yeah, and I was just gonna say, don't, don't be afraid to try things on your own. You can be, you know, you can be, 
the person that's trailblazing the the path. I know when I first started TikTok, there was no other, I even, you know, searched for school counselors on TikTok. There were none. And there were no examples for me to go off of. I had no idea what I was doing. And a lot of it will be trial and error. And you have to be okay with some of them, maybe not performing as well, or maybe some of them not being the best or ideal right from the start. And that's okay. You know, all of it, all of your learning that you take from each type of failure, quote unquote, is going to help you for the next piece of content that you create. So don't be afraid to sort of build that for yourself, even if there aren't the perfect examples out there. I know it's scary and it's intimidating when there aren't all of these campuses who have the picture perfect TikToks or Instagrams, but you could be that person. I think it just takes somebody to get it started and get going so other people can view you as an example. That's great. And then I just realized I posted the wrong thing into the chat, so I apologize for that. Um, Bo shared her TikTok video, but I'll make sure that is in the resources that we share out later. I have a lot of remaining questions about K-8 and younger students, so I'm happy to take those and sort of group them together. Um, <laughs> so as far as appropriate content for a K-8 institution, I'll start there. For one, I think it's important to remind people about the distinction between generations, right? Because there's a lot of confusing a confusion around like where do millennials begin and end? Where does Gen Z begin and end? And once you're getting into lower school, you're actually talking about generation alpha, and that's a completely different animal. So I do want to start with that. Um, and also just based on the terms of condi and conditions of most of these channels where they prefer they technically require, but we all know it's very easy to open an account on any channel, regardless of your age. The preference is that users be 13 or older, right? And so part of this is also being conscious of appropriate ways to engage elementary school students in general. I'm not necessarily convinced that investing a lot of time and resources in a TikTok account for you know first, second, and third graders is a good use of your time. Um, there are other ways that you can engage students in that age range and that, that at that point in time too, as we look at our data around when students are starting to get really involved in the school selection process, it's not necessarily happening digitally with that age group yet. As you get into middle school where they're kind of at the bottom of Gen Z, I would say that your strategy shouldn't be significantly different than it would be for high school. It's just a matter of having slightly different content. And so that's an opportunity to, you know, maybe give some some chances to post content for students who are in like a broadcasting class or a journalism class. I know that that's something that a lot of schools offer at the middle school level. So that's definitely a consideration as far as who to get involved. And again, it's it's day in the life content. It's very authentic content about what it's like to be, um, you know, a part of your community. At the end of the day, all of these students want to know what's it really like to be part of this institution, and am I going to fit there and feel like I belong there? And we know that students want to hear from other students, and so I think those are the high level things to keep in mind as you're thinking about engagement at the K to eight level. And with that, um, I am going to go ahead and wrap us up because we are almost at time and transitioning to our next session. So I want to thank our panelists and thank all of you who stayed on with us through the Q&A, um, as well as bearing with us as we 
lost one of our um, <laughs> one of our one of our panelists this morning. And as I mentioned, this is being recorded. It's going to hit your inbox on Monday, and you can look forward to hearing it a little bit early if you'd like to on the Enrollment Insights podcast this weekend. Thanks again, everyone. Take care.